There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. Jack Duff, 
which is our gluteus maximus, and uh, play their games on computer and get paid well for doing so as they sip their brandy at their clubs afterwards. That's the real reality of secret services, at least the ones above all the small ones beneath them. And we are tonight going to talk about something I've discussed before in some detail, and that is why people are so compliant with everything that's happening. No one in today's world can possibly plead ignorance that they don't know what's going to come up in the near future affecting them all. Back with more after these messages. Traumatized 
and two had to be removed from the experiment early. Finally, Zimbardo, alarmed at the increasingly abusive antisocial behavior from his subjects, terminated the entire experiment early. Ethical concerns surrounding the famous experiment often draw comparisons to the Milgram experiment, which was conducted in 1961 at Yale University by Stanley Milgram, Zimbardo's former college friend. So there's your connection between the two. The only connection that they want to admit to is the CIA. But that who, that's who was behind this. Uh, Tom Peters and Robert H. Waterman Jr. wrote in 1981 that the Milgram experiment in the 1960s and the later Zimbardo experiment were frightening in their implications about the danger which lurks in the darker side of human nature. The goals and the methods of the experiment. Zimbardo and his team intended to test the hypothesis that prison guards and convicts were self-selecting of a certain disposition that would naturally lead to poor conditions. Participants were recruited via a newspaper ad offered $15 a day to participate in a two-week prison simulation. Of the 75 respondents, Zimbardo and his team selected the 24 males whom they deemed to be the most psychologically stable and healthy. So here they are doing a psychology test to get the most psychologically stable and healthy. These participants were predominantly white and middle class. The prison itself was in the basement of Stanford's Jordan Hall, which had been converted into a mock jail. Mike Schenk, an undergraduate research assistant, was a warden in Zimbardo, the superintendent. Zimbardo set up a number of specific conditions on the participants which he hoped would promote disorientation, depersonalization, and de-individuation. Very, very important. Now remember, this is a microcosm of what can be done on an entire continent, in fact, an entire world, if need be. Disorientation is very important. That can happen with crisis creation, real or imaginary, as long as you believe it. It becomes hysterical, uh, disorientated from their daily routine. And then that's followed by depersonalization as, as a mass movement. You have to move there, en masse, move here, etc., do what you're told, you lose your ability to function and reason for yourself as an individual. And de-individuation, you start to break down all the compartments that keep you together as a complete being. Guards were given wooden battens in a khaki military-style uniform that they had chosen at a local military surplus store. They were also given mirrored sunglasses to prevent eye contact. It's eye contact again, it's dehumanized the, any contact between the two beings, the two humans. Unlike the prisoners, the guards were to work in shifts and return home during off hours, though many times they would later volunteer for added duty without additional pay. Very telling that those who became the guards would volunteer for extra time without pay. That's how quickly people bond into their roles and a little fraternity. Prisoners were to wear only intentionally ill-fitting muslin smocks without underwear and rubber thong sandals, which Zimbardo said would force them to adopt unfamiliar body postures and discomfort in order to further their sense of disorientation. They were referred to by assigned numbers instead of name. 
These numbers were sewn onto their uniforms, and prisoners were required to wear tight-fitting nylon pantyhose caps to simulate shaven heads similar to those of military basic training. Very interesting. You see, they use a lot of these techniques in the military. In addition, they wore a small chain around their ankles as a constant reminder of their imprisonment and oppression. The day before the experiment, guards attended a brief orientation meeting but were given no formal guidelines other than no physical violence was permitted. They were told it was their responsibility to run the prison and they could do so in any way they wished. Zimbardo provided the following statements to the guards in the briefing. You can create in the prisoners feelings of boredom, a sense of fear to some degree. You can create a notion of arbitrariness that their life is totally controlled by us, by the system, you, me, and they'll have no privacy. Very interesting to make people believe that their life really had no meaning. They were totally controlled by the system and those in authority. We're going to take away their individuality in various ways. In general, what all this leads to is a sense of powerlessness. That is, in this situation, we'll have all the power and they'll have none. And this was also in a Stanford uh, prison study video quoted in Haslam and Reicher. It's a book, 2003. The participants who had been chosen to play the part of prisoners were told simply to wait in their homes to be called on the day the experiment began. Without any warning, they were charged with armed robbery and arrested by their actual, the real Palo Alto Police Department who cooperated in part of the experiment. The prisoners were put through a full booking procedure by the police, including fingerprinting, having mugshots taken, and information regarding their Miranda rights. They were then transported to the prison, where they were strip-searched, deloused, and given their new identities. The experiment quickly grew out of hand. Prisoners suffered an accepted sadistic and humiliating treatment from the guards. The higher level of stress progressively led them from rebellion to inhibition. By experiment's end, many showed severe emotional disturbances. After a relatively uneventful first day, a riot broke out on the second day. The guards volunteered to work extra hours and worked together to break the prison revolt, attacking, attacking the prisoners with fire extinguishers without supervision from the research staff. So they become innovative. That's part of it as they adapt to their roles. Uh, prisoner accounts initially devised for the prisoners to learn their identity numbers degenerated to long, uh, uh, hour-long ordeals where guards tormented the prisoners and imposed physical punishments, including long bouts of forced exercise. The prison became dirty and inhospitable. Bathroom rights became privileges. That, again, is very important. Every big thing becomes a privilege, which could be and frequently were denied. Some prisoners were forced to clean toilets with bare hands, Mattresses were removed from the bad cell block and the prisoners forced to sleep naked on the concrete floor. Moreover, prisoners endured forced nudity and even sexual humiliation. Zimbardo cited his own absorption in the experiment he guided and in which he actively participated as prison superintendent. On the fourth day, he and the guards reacted to an escape rumor by attempting to move the entire experiment to a real unused cell block at the local police station because it was more secure. The police department refused, citing insurance liability concerns. 
Zimbardo recalls his anger and disgust with the lack of cooperation between his and the police's jails. As experiment proceeded, several guards became progressively sadistic. Experimenters said approximately one-third of the guards exhibited genuine sadistic tendencies. Interestingly, most of the guards were upset when the experiment concluded early. Isn't that interesting, too? Zimbardo argued that the prisoners' participants had internalized the roles based on the fact that some had stated that they would accept parole even with the attached condition of forfeiting all of their experiment participation pay. Yet when their parole applications were denied, none of the prisoners participated in it quit the experiment. Back with more after these messages. Maslach 
a graduate student. He was then uh, dating and later married. Must be quite the sadistic, masochistic relationship. Objected to the appalling conditions of the prison after she was introduced to the experiment to conduct interviews. Zimbardo noted that of more than 50 outside persons who had seen the prison, Maslach was the only one who questioned its morality. Interesting again, you see the onlookers who are unaffected, it's a passive-by, without question. After only six days, for planned two-week duration, six days all this happened, and that's how quick dynamics occur in these experiments. The Stanford Prison Experiment was shut down. Conclusions. The Stanford Experiment ended on August the 20th, 1971, six days after it began, instead of the 14 it was supposed to have lasted, the experiment's result has been argued to demonstrate the impressionability and obedience of people when provided with a legitimizing ideology and social and institutional support. Now, the reason I'm reading this for you is to let you know what's coming with all of these military and paramilitary organizations, these with internal armies that have been built up around the world to be let loose on the public in the not-so-distant future. So they're, they're given an ideology and, and their social institutional support. That's what backs these guys in the, in the uniforms, the black ninja outfits. And they're given the backing of authority. We've already been through the experiments of the shocks that were administered in experiments. This is just another aspect of it. In psychology, the results of the experiment are said to support situational attributions of behavior rather than dispositional attribution. In other words, it seemed the situation caused the participants' behavior rather than anything inherent in their individual personalities. In this way, it is compatible with the results of the also famous Milgram experiment, in which ordinary people fulfilled orders to administer what appeared to be damaging electric shocks to confederate of the experimenter. Shortly after the study had been completed, there were bloody revolts at both the San Quentin and at Attica prison facilities, and Zimbardo reported his findings on the experiment to the U.S. House Committee on the Judiciary. His criticism of the experiment was widely criticized as being unethical. Well, that doesn't matter, does it? And bordering on unscientific. Current ethical standards of psychology would not permit such a study to be conducted today. What a lie. What a lie, because our whole school system is being conducted with psychological conditioning and Pavlovian-style indoctrination. Because on to say the study would violate the American Psychological Associate Ethics Code, the Canadian Code for Conduct for Research Involving Humans. I guess that's where you sprayed like bugs all the time. And the Belmont Report critics, including Eric Fromm, challenged how readily the results of the experiment could be generalized. Prom specifically writes about how the personality of an individual doesn't affect, affect behavior when imprisoned during historical examples from the Nazi concentration camps. This runs counter to the study's conclusion that the prison situation itself controls the individual's behavior. I'll be back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. 
life of Alan Watt Bank, cutting through the matrix. Just going over some of the experiments, many experiments are going on all the time and have been your whole life. Long uh, put out by the big boys for what's to come, because it's all to do with what's to come. They don't do these little experiments just to pass the time. They want to know how people tick, and especially they want to know how we'll all behave during this big worldwide crisis creation period as they step up the crisis, real or imaginary. They want us to behave in a predictable fashion. They also want to know that the training that they're giving all of their multi-leveled troops and paramilitary organizations, how they'll behave in those situations, they must also behave as predictable and they must uh, be innovative too, meaning they're going to be sadistic towards the public. But it goes even further because it also affects bureaucracies. These faceless people, the ones who take your number, they never meet you, your number assigned to them, and they take you off this list and onto that list, and so on and so on. And they say that that's why the whole Nazi regime was so efficient when it came to eliminating people in large numbers. They're very efficient with numbers, but it's because people become faceless. You're just numbers on pages to them. You're not really human. But another aspect of the dehumanization of the guards and the prisoners and the cops that will be facing up to the general public, it's also because these people themselves tend to go into these jobs, the ones who actually go in for a career, and the statistic part is already there. They like to see people cringe. It's an animalistic thing with some of these people, and you give off a fear which they get off on. It gives them their jollies. And with authority that they've been given, when you look at all the laws that have been passed, remember where I said earlier, when backed by authority, they go to the full extreme, and out comes their sadistic tendencies. Many, many, many kinds of experiments have been done on the public, mainly through the big funded, well-funded uh, universities, funded by, look at the names of the, the associations that fund them, and believe you me, the CIA and MI6, the finger in every pie. That's where the data goes back to, because what happens on the microcosm will work on the macrocosm, the whole world, and we must be predictable for total control. You can find more of this on Wikipedia, and other, other sources, other books put out on these experiments, rather boring books by psychology departments. I've read from some of them in the past. And for those who can hold their minds together past a single sentence or a phrase, wade through them, and you'll be astounded at the conclusions you'll come to. Now we'll go to the phones, and we've got Mark from Pennsylvania. Are you there, Mark? I am, Alan. Are you there? I am. Um, I, have some, I might have some good news for you. The people most likely who are trying to hack into your website can be found at the following web address, www.scl.cc. I know it's not a .com, it's a .cc. People listening to this broadcast right now, check that out. It will absolutely freak them out as to what they're doing to us with paid disinformation shills and hackers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. With that said, 
um, I wanted to go on a tangent about you talking about people going down the rabbit hole, people really wanting to know the truth. And I've experienced it firsthand. I have yet to go to a family function in probably three or four months, everything from Christmas to just which is past Easter, because I refuse to get in the dialogue about what's happening on American Idol or who's going to win the latest sports situation. Sure. And the problem that I find, and I think a lot of your callers who call in are funny, they're frustrated that they can't really talk to people like you and me. We listen to you, but we have no one to talk to about these very serious issues. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a website that I stumbled upon, and with your permission, I'd like to to announce it. It's called TalkShoe.com, T-A-L-K-S-H-O-E. And if people like me who listen to you go there right now, we're discussing right now what you're talking about. It's a very fascinating discussion. I know you don't like chat stuff, but this is for people who know something is wrong, don't know quite what it is, and they need help getting to the next level. So I really appreciate what you've done for me over the last nine months. And if people can go there and we can talk about it, that would be fantastic. Okay. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for calling. Mm -hmm. Bye. And the problem with the sites is, again, is they don't last too long because they're infiltrated very quickly. The government has lots of people in their employ. They have many, many teams on their cyber teams that are trained to wheedle their way in to these rooms and then cause dissension. And before you know it, it's just like this prison experiment. One group is fighting the other in no time at all. They're, they're experts at creating divisions, and so they don't last too long. And people should be very, very careful of the plants they do put into them because you can't put a site up now without plants coming in in these talk shows. It's going to happen. And so I warn people not to give it their numbers, their phone numbers and so on. Don't fall for the people because they're professionally trained who will take you for a ride. Be very, very careful. This is very real. Very real. It's happening all the time. But as long as one can last, good enough. But don't volunteer things. Uh, that's what I always suggest to people. Don't volunteer information. And now I've got, it says here, Gravy from Nebraska. Nebraska. Hi, uh, Mr. Watt. Yes. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say it's a true pleasure talking to you. I've been listening to you for a while. And uh, like the last caller, I've had a lot of... Um, a lot of problem weeding through the disinformation stuff, um, and uh, you're really one of the first people I've uh, heard that you know tells you to go look it up yourself and go to the references and, and do all that. So I want to say thank you for that. Um, I got a <laughs> basically a little laundry list here of stuff to, that uh, I've been writing down over the last few weeks, meaning to call you. Um, first one is uh, I'd like to let some of your uh, other listeners know that. A simple Google search, advanced with uh, file type uh, only in PDF. You type in a lot of the books that are hard, or, uh, hard to find or you can't buy anymore, like especially the next million years. Um, you can find uh, full PDF documents with all that, uh, all that stuff on it. Yeah. Um, the other one is uh, the area of uh, Nebraska that I live in, it's, um, it's interesting that a lot of people um, in this generation, how quickly they weed out the information. Um, the area I was hit, uh, I live in, was hit heavily by uh, the Franklin cover-up, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. And in fact, I actually was, uh, as a child, introduced to Peter Citron, 
and told, quote, he likes little boys. Yeah. And didn't understand what it meant until I started reading about it. And I even actually worked with Larry King's father for a while. And until I was nearly 25 years old, I had no idea what any of it was about. They just brushed it right all under the carpet. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'd also uh, like, if, if it was possible, um, I remember a lot of things that I've heard you say on the show over the year or over the last few years, because I've listened to most of them at this point, um, is... Uh, You've made the comment about uh, Rumsfeld after 9-11 saying they have uh, liquidized Prozac and Valium. Aerosolized, yeah. Yeah, and I've, uh, I've looked for some sort of uh, uh, all over the place for that actual speech, and I was wondering if you would be able to post where you found that, because I can't... Uh... The only place that could have been is either Global Television Canada, City TV, or the CBC, because that was only three stations I got. Yeah, I've uh, yeah I've looked for it and it doesn't look like they got that up there anymore. So yeah, oh, I'm sure it's been down. taken off by now because uh, it was so telling a statement. I thought I thought it made so much sense to me immediately. I thought, my God, they're actually doing it. As soon as he said it, I thought they're doing it. They've been doing it for quite some time. And people forget the spring, the heavy spring began um, almost daily uh, in '98, long before 2001 came along. And uh, and I noticed the people then becoming rather hazy during the summer, almost like dead flies, with not much to bother them, even though there's there's a lot they should have been bothered about. And uh, and I realised that when he sent me that statement, I thought, my God, uh, they realised Valium, you see, uh, would kick in quickly, fast acting. Prozac takes time to build up a tolerance in the bloodstream before it becomes effective. So one would be immediate to respond to the other one would be a long-acting response. And who knows by now, they might have some other kind of drug in there that's even more efficient. But it makes perfect sense to bring people through massive changes uh, without a, a murmur. You have to do something to sedate them. And my memory also jumped back to all the books I'd read put out by the big boys talking about ways of sedating the public using pharmaceutical agents on them. Uh, everybody, including Huxley, talked about methods like this being used. So it made perfect sense it was being used. Um, I uh, actually also remember a couple of days, I think it was Friday, you read an article about uh, certain financial institutions and uh, credit agencies that were uh, now scanning a list of names against uh, a government agency, uh, the list of names from the Office of Foreign Asset Control. And um, I just wanted to uh, also call in. That's actually really what prompted me to call in in the first place when I heard that was because that's what I do for a living mm-hmm. is I work for a large financial institution that I'm sure a lot of people would be familiar with. And basically all day long, 12 hours a day, I sit there, look at names, match them up against the list. And if the things don't match, we, you know, I put stops on it. Mm-hmm. And so that's really going on, and I thought uh, it might also be comforting to know that while I am doing all that and I'm objecting to it, uh, at the same time I'm listening to your show the entire time and filling my head with good knowledge. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, yeah that, was, uh, that was about it, and I really do appreciate you, uh, you taking my call and, and, and appreciate the information that you put out there. It's great. Well, you hang in there. All right, take care. Bye now. Now I've got... Drew from New York. Are you there, Drew? Yeah. Hi, Alan. How are you doing? 
I'm doing well. Um, yeah, going back to your original uh, article that you were reading earlier, um, very real. Uh, a friend of mine just got back from London on a flight, uh, and he was given the rubber glove treatment before huh? they even put him through the metal detector. Yes. And missed his flight with uh, about um, half a dozen other people from the same flight. And he told me the story, and he didn't understand it. And I said, uh, it's the shape of things to come. You're being conditioned. He didn't really understand the concept of that. Yes. But it's very real. It's real. It is a conditioning procedure. Yeah. Absolutely. It has nothing to do with safety. Mm -hmm. And um, it reminds me, I don't, I'm sure you remember, but very few people probably remember today. Back in the 70s, the whole uh, story about Barry Sands. Mm -hmm. Um the IRA uh, guy that starved himself in front of the world. Yeah. Uh, and I really believe at the time it was put out there as some kind of conditioning to watch how this person could be sadistically killed for mm -hmm. no reason. Yeah. Um, but, of course, we forget all these things. It goes right down the memory hole. <laughs> we think we do, but subconsciously you've been altered by it. Even when it's announced on the media and they follow it through, because you're, in a sense, detached from it, uh, you take note of it, and you're being desensitized to more of it uh, as, as it comes along throughout your life with other cases and so on. Yeah. And I, I, I thought it was interesting that you brought Edgar Fromm again. Of course, he's right out of the Frankfurt School. That's right. Absolutely. That guy's uh, somebody you should watch out for. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh, definitely. One of the big players, and again, associated with the CIA, you know. Yeah, um, and also I, I just wanted to uh, let you know and let your listeners know that um, your uh, broadcast with Jackie Petru and Sweet Liberty over the years, which I've listened to all of them, uh, was truly amazing. And anybody that's listening should really go back and listen to um, those broadcasts because I think um, for people to get an idea of what, what you're about and what you do, what you did with Jackie was truly like something that everybody should listen to. Yes. Right. Um, well, it's on the site. They can, they can download yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's all I wanted to say, Alan. Thank you. And thanks for calling. Now, we've got uh, Karen from Oregon there. Are you there, Karen? Hi, Alex. This is How Karen. Are you? How are you? I'm surviving this weather. I got, a, I got snow yesterday again, six inches. <laughs> Oh, no, I'm yep. in Portland, and it's snowing here, too. So uh, I feel better now. <laughs> okay. Well, I do want to, this is the first time I've called, but I, I just want to thank you for all this information and insight that you give us. I appreciate all of it. I listen to it all the time. But yeah. I just have this one question, and, and I met someone that belongs, she's um, actually a Baha'i. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And... Um, so I did some extra reading on that and um, just kind of have a question as to, you know, you know, Jew, um, Israel is so anti any religion other than their own. And um, there's actually, that is where the Baha'i headquarters is. Uh, you know, it's, it's right there in Haifa, Israel. Yeah. And, you know, from what I've heard, you know, the military protects them and... Um, uh, they have their own armed guards here, too. 
why I, would they I've met some, another religion? Yes, I've met some of them uh, that were recruited in Canada. But it is a religion that was set up to be a world religion. Uh, the religion is to bring all the other religions together by taking all the good bits, as they call them, the good bits, the bits they can all compromise on and leaving out all the bad bits. But then you compromise the fact that now you're all one in one faith. And it's only a religion that the United Nations has authorized that it accepts. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just thought it was very strange that they were able to... You know, is that because they're part of this world one government? I mean, that's what they promote, but... That's right. The, the UN promotes it. it. The, U, the UN is probably... The, it seems to be an atheistic or humanistic society, the United Nations, but they do have their own meditation room for their own members in the building itself. And they brought in uh, the jade stone, which they, they, they use in their, in their little ceremonies there in the United Nations building. But okay. as far as the, an, an external or an exoteric religion goes, they authorize the Baha'i faith, yeah. Okay. Well, I thank you so much for letting me know that. Uh, thanks for calling. All right. Thank you. Now, I hear the music coming, and we'll continue with the callers after the following messages. Uh, knocking the French for not going along with his first uh, invasion policy 
And he yeah. said, he said, well, the French, he says, those guys don't e- even have a word for entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I wanted to, for the longest time, I wanted to get your take on, uh, as far as the Jesuit order in the Vatican, uh, what role would you say they play in this new world order? And the, main, the main role they have is, is intelligence gathering and liaison between different departments. Uh, a lot of their power um, and, and purpose and function was taken over, absorbed into the big intelligence services back in World War II. And I mean the whole the whole the Catholic Church has gone down with the rest of the religions as as the science uh, is elevated to the top, and governments have massive intelligence services worldwide all interconnected uh, today. So their role has definitely so gone you, down. You would, you would find them in the Royal Institute and, and CFR and what have you. Oh yeah, you, you'll find the same characters in, in many different professions. Uh, and, and religions too. Yeah, you'll, you'll find them scattered all over the place. Yeah. Oh, now what, what, one final thing, sir, and I'll, and I'll hang up. The, these Straussians, these neocons, these what, who are who are the puppet masters of, of, of these ruthless, uh, nefarious creatures? Would you say the, the puppet masters are much much wealthier people, very old families, much older than those ones who literally have been running a, a banking system and a culture industry for every country in every era for thousands of years. And they don't come out into the public. Yeah, oh, so these neoconservatives are yeah, nothing. And, and that's the end of the show for tonight, though. So for Hamish and myself up here in Ontario, Canada, it's good night. And me, your God, all your gods, go with you.